Good morning, Canberra, and welcome to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show, your dose of science on a Sunday morning. It's currently oh, just gone over 11.31 in Canberra. It's a lovely cold morning this, this morning, and we're talking about citizen science and bioblitz this morning. Good morning, I'm Ian McDonald and welcome to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show where we're talking this morning about citizen science. So I'm going to put a term out there for you. Have you ever heard the term bioblitz? Maybe you have taken part in one. So for those of you that don't know, a bioblitz comprises scientists, naturalists, citizen scientists and members of the public working together to record a snapshot of the region's biodiversity or nature, essentially. What's out there in nature? Um, they're actually becoming really, really common uh, and a great way to get the public engaged with ecology, nature, and, of course, science. That's why we're all here, why we're all listening today. So, according to the very reliable source of Wikipedia, uh, the term bioblitz was first coined by the US National Park Service naturalist Susan Rudy um, while she was... Um, assisting with the first ever bioblitz. So this was held at Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens in Washington, D.C., only um, back in 1996. So it's a relatively new term in, in science. So during this first ever bioblitz, or termed bioblitz, there was approximately a 1,000 species identified at this event. Uh, it's the first accounting of biodiversity... Sorry, I'll say that again. The first accounting of biodiversity was organised by Sam Drowage and Dan Roddy with the assistance assistance of other government scientists. So the public and the especially the news media were invited to go along to this bio, um, blitz since uh, and since the success of it, uh, many organised organisations around the world have undertaken a bioblitz, which always generally has this public component to it, and that's where citizen science comes into it. So, why are we talking about bioblitzes today? Well, let me introduce you to our guests in the studio. So, um, welcome to the show, Minky Faber, uh, who is the communications advisor for the Atlas of Living Australia. So, that's a wonderful resource, which we'll talk a bit more about shortly. Some of you may have heard of the Atlas of Living Australia. So, Minky has a science communication background and has been involved in, in sort of the organization of large scale science events such as National Science Week and also works at Questacon as well. You're one of the excited particles you were telling me. So welcome to the show, Minky. Thank you for having me. Um, and also joining me in the studio today is Dr. Melissa Snape. Uh, Dr. Snape is an ecologist and an avid uh, nature and wildlife observer. So Mel is a user of the Atlas of Living Australia and has been a facilitator of citizen <laughs> science activities in Canberra, um, including assisting with organising and helping out with Canberra's very own BioBlitz back in 2013. So welcome to the show, Mel. Thanks very much. So, Minky, I thought we'd start with you. Many hundreds, probably thousands of people around there in Australia are, are keen citizen scientists, so particularly in relation to nature. Um, so before we get really into the show, can you tell us a bit about what you think uh, a citizen scientist is? Okay, well, in the, in, in the purest form, I think a citizen science is, uh, scientist is anyone 
who takes an interest in science, whether that is biology, whether it's um, uh, astronomy, um, anyone who, who looks out at the world around us and wonders or perhaps notices special things that we're surrounded by. Uh, I think um, most children are citizen scientists. You know, they're, they're out about with their parents and all of a sudden they say, Mum, what's that? Mum, why does this do that? And that, in its purest form, is a citizen scientist. Now, when we're talking about citizen scientists um, uh, in this format, we're talking about people who want to go a little bit further and perhaps uh, contribute to scientific study uh, in the, out there in the public. So, um, I think sometimes I think of myself as a citizen scientist uh, when I like to take note of the birds that are around uh, at my area. Um, and uh, things like that. Uh, so citizen scientists, uh, people who are getting out there and getting part of bio blitzes. Now, there are lots of citizen scientists who work uh, regardless of bio blitzes, which we'll talk about, but uh, uh, they, these are the people who are just of the members of the public uh, just helping out science. Awesome, and that's a great leeway into your job. So you have a pretty awesome job, I reckon. It's communicating and promoting this technology that... Um, the CSIRO has created, which is called the Atlas of Living Australia. So as a bit of a background for our listeners, um, this is taken from the Atlas of Living Australia website, which if you're sitting in front of a computer right now, you can go to www.ala.org.au and have a look. So the Atlas of Living Australia contains information on all the known species in Australia aggregated from a wide range of data providers. So these data providers include museums, herbaria, uh, community groups, government departments, individuals, and of course, university researchers as well. So today, obviously, we're focusing on the individual aspect of, of um, the people that give information to this Atlas of Living Australia. And obviously our listeners out there might also be interested in, in including information to the Atlas of Living Australia. Um, so it really relies on citizen scientists to collect a lot of its data, um, particularly new data, I suppose, because there's been a lot of data which has been aggregated into it from previous resources. But a lot of its new data, I believe, is, is from just citizen scientists out there. Um so, for those who don't know, can you tell us a bit more about this new online resource that's out there that's called the Atlas of Living Australia and where this whole idea came from? Well, I think the whole idea probably came from the fact that, first and foremost, the Atlas of Living Australia uh, is funded through uh, NCRIS, the National Collaborative Research uh, Infrastructure Strategy, uh, and it's to assist researchers. So, uh, this website is a is a uh, a big, big uh, kind of uh, repository for uh, lots of information that will assist uh, ecologists, biologists, uh, taxonomists, those sorts of things. Um, the Atlas of Living Australia has gone on beyond that, though. It's not just a, a place where people can put in their research data and things like that. It's it's turned into a place that it's, it's very pub, uh, popular with the public because... A good example is if you want to learn something more about the wedgetail eagle, okay, you can type in wedgetail eagle Australia and I guarantee you 
the Atlas of Living Australia will probably be in the first five things that come up in Google. When you get to the uh, the, the Atlas of Living Australia, you can have a look at the Wedgetail Eagle. There will be um, information about where it can be found. There will be information about its name. There will be information such as uh, a gallery of pictures. Now, some of those pictures are taken from other websites, but lots of those pictures are actually from people uploading pictures that they've taken out in the wild okay so that's one of the wonderful things about the atlas of living australia first and foremost for uh for you and me if we want to find out more about an australian uh, animal or plant or fungus we can just type it into google it'll come up with the atlas and we can then find out a plethora of information on that species so Minky, i'm going to give you a bit of a challenge right now i am just opened up for the atlas of living australia on the computer in front of me that's in the studio um it's pretty awesome. It's a really visual website when you first get on there. So I'm just on the homepage and I am looking at an octopus, I think. That is a really <laughs> cool picture. Um, a person that's scuba diving, that's just while well, I've gone past a seahorse. A seahorse is about to go. I think that's a seahorse. Can you guys see the computer? Looks like a seahorse. It's very pretty. <laughs> just roll with it. Some insects. Oh, there's lots of cool pictures on here. But... I want to find out what is actually in my neighbourhood. Okay, so, so... I live in Flory. Is there a way that I can do that? Yeah, so this is what's really cool about the Atlas of Living Australia, and this is one of the things I like to show when we do uh, trade exhibits. Um... The Atlas of Living Australia is a huge mapping tool, okay? It's actually, I mean, it, it sounds fantastic that it's just a, a, a resource for information about animals, but beyond that, it's about mapping where these animals are, okay? So you can actually look for uh, species by location. And this is what I love to do is to get people to put it now, and you don't have to pull in your full address and tell yeah. the people out there, but... And, and this if is you my do, phone number. Yeah, <laughs> if you do put in your address into the species by location section of the Atlas of a Living Australia, which I should say is www.ala.org.au, you can put in your address. Well, while me and Minky just figure out this this website here, we might just go quickly to our, our song to, um, oh, I guess, just to, to get you going for your, your Sunday morning. Um, so here is a lovely song by the Cat Empire called... Hello. Hello. Hello, Canberra, and welcome back to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show on 2XXFM 98.3. Or you may also be listening to our podcast right now, which is available through the iTunes store. Uh, so just have a search for Fuzzy Logic Science Show and you can have a listen to all of our shows from the past year. Um, and welcome to our online listeners as well, wherever you may be around the world. I'm assuming we have a global audience. <laughs> Uh, so, today we are talking about the Atlas of Living Australia, and we're talking about being a citizen scientist, because that's fun, and that's what we all um, are, are here to do. We're here to talk about science and how we can get citizens involved in science. So, in the studio with me, we have Minky Faber, who is the communications advisor for the Atlas of Living Australia, which is our... M- 
great technical art uh, technology resource that we can use which is online and we can search for all sorts of species and things which are in your area we can add to the database all sorts of things and that's what we're talking about today also in the studio with me is dr melissa snape who is a user of the atlas of living australia and we're going to be talking to her shortly about how the different ways that we can use it particularly for research purposes so before the break um myself and minky we're, we're talking about how we can use this resource and actually find out what's out there in my neighbourhood. And so, for those of you that are playing at home and are sitting in front of a computer, we um, we can go to the Atlas of Living Australia website, which is ala.org.au, and on the homepage, there's a tab which is Explore Your Area. Now, Minky, before the break, we were talking about the, the ways that we can do this. So, I want to find out what's in my neighbourhood. So, I live in Canberra. I'm a Canberra local. So, you were telling me to just put my address into yeah. the um the explore your area search box here so i'm giving the the atlas a bit of a, a test right now we're live to air so let's hope this all works sure i've actually already done our area which we're sitting in right now which is bunda street and civic <laughs> and uh by putting in the address there and giving it a one kilometer radius it's come up with 500 and 13 different species that can be found here in our concrete maze of Bunda Street. Wow. Now, most of those are animals, and the ones that come up are things like uh, crimson rosellas, yeah, yep. uh, magpies, uh, and things like, uh, of course, pigeons. A lot of pigeons are going to come up as well. Mm. But uh, that's 513 different species of um, animals and plants, fungus, uh, all within a kilometre radius of where we are right now. You yeah. could even be sitting on one. That's that's really cool. Well, uh, there's at least two other humans in here with me, and there's probably some insects of some <laughs> sort in here. Maybe if we see a spider going across, we can add it to the to the atlas. So, um, Ian, have you put your address in there? I have. So, where I live, um, which is in Flory, there has there has come up as two thousand two hundred and one species. Um, that's within a five kilometer radius of Flory. So that's out in the suburbs. There is almost uh, quadruple the amount of species out there <laughs> than in the city. Um, so, pre- predominantly animals, actually, um, but I'm also assuming that it's predominantly animals that are added, added maybe, to the atlas. Who knows? Um, so, there's 19 mammals, there's 355 bird species, 19 reptiles. This is really, really cool stuff. Oh, there's 742 arthropods. Oh, that's Ooh. cool. Um, <laughs> if you have a look at the map... Because uh, yeah. it shows a map and all those little tiny dots uh, on the map, they all signify a little sighting. Okay, and you can hit every single one of those dots and you can find out about that particular sighting. Most of those sightings will have been done by citizen scientists. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of those citizen scientists have got onto the Atlas of Living Australia website. Uh, they could have actually been through uh, other things like Birds Australia who run bio-blitzes, uh, BirdLife Australia, uh, and they've done bio-blitzes, and then all of the information that they have collected from their bio-blitzes have gone on to the Atlas of Living Australia. 
So it's it's a very, very cool website. So, Mel, I'm going to bring you in here because you haven't spoken for a while. I don't think at all yet. Um, so you're a user of the Atlas of Living Australia. Um, so I've just used it for fun purposes, but you actually use it when you're out in the field. Um, so tell us about some of the, the ways that uh, an ecologist can can use the Atlas of Living Australia. Yeah, no worries. So as part of my job, I do a lot of plant and animal surveys around the ACT. Um, and in preparing for those surveys, it's really useful to uh, have a good idea of what it is that you're going to find before you go out. So um, especially working with field teams, it's good to be able to put together cheat sheets for people. Um, identifying things like grasses, for example, to a lot of people, you look at grass and it's it's just grass. It's grass is grass is grass. Um, so by able being able to um, take a look at the species in a particular area, I can go through and work out um, individual traits that um, perhaps non-experienced people are able to use to tell the species apart. Um, so I can make it quite specific because obviously there are lots and lots and lots of plant species in the ACT, so I can narrow it down to just the ones they're going to need rather than having to rewrite the field guides. Um, so that's really helpful. It's also really cool even if you're just out at night. So, for example, um, some of my friends and I do quite a lot of spotlighting at night. We like our nocturnal mammals um, in Australia if you want to see mammals other than kangaroos, the best times usually at night. Um, you get all the possums and gliders, bats and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's really cool to be able to go to an area that's not just got brush-tailed possums, so you can look up where those areas might be before you head out. So, yeah, quite a, a few applications in um, being able to prepare yourself for doing a, a fun survey, not just a useful one. Yeah, and you work with citizen scientists a lot um, in, in your job and, and sort of out there as a volunteer as well. So do you find that it's a, a easy resource to be able to, to get other people to use as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the ACT is a pretty amazing place in terms of its citizen scientists. Um, I guess because there's a couple of universities, there's obviously the CSIRO, um, there's a lot of really, really well-educated and really passionate people in the ACT. Um, so obviously like half of the ACT, if not more, is National Park. Um, and then there's the whole Canberra Nature Park matrix that um, weaves through our urban area. And so a lot of people are really familiar with um, the natural areas in the ACT. So, for example, the whole of Gungahlin was moved to protect some of those grasslands. And, you know, in a, in any other city, people might just drive past and think, oh, yeah, that's just a cow paddock like I used to. But, you know, um, things like ALA will make you realise that there's actually uh, some really, really important threatened species habitat in those areas. Um, and it's really cool that, yeah, the effort's been made to put aside that land that's worth a mint, I'm sure, <laughs> to protect those species. So, yeah, certainly. Um, so Canberra Ornithologist Group, I know, has got decades and decades of really, really high-quality bird data that they've collected um, through things like the Atlas of Living Australia, and that's just entirely volunteers. So, yeah, lots of cool citizen science in the ACT. So... The reason that I brought Mel in here is because she was actually involved in October 2013's uh, ACT BioBlitz, um, and that was for the Canberra Centenary. So it was called the Canberra Centenary, Centenary BioBlitz, and it was led by um, the CSIRO and the Atlas of Living Australia. Um, but there's actually a great YouTube clip which kind of explains what this whole BioBlitz was was designed to do. It was run basically um, right next to Black Mountain, 
And the whole point of it was to find out how many species were on Black Mountain and, and around Black Mountain. So um, let's have a listen to this YouTube clip and, and see what the citizen scientists were design, um, trying to do. I'm John LaSalle and I'm the director of the Atlas of Living Australia. Well, what we're doing this weekend is having a bio blitz. And what a bio blitz is, it's an opportunity for a, a range of people, for scientists and normal citizens, volunteers, bushwalkers, uh, amateur naturalists, everyone to get involved in recording what lives in a certain place at a certain time. So we're getting a snapshot of what's living in, on Black Mountain in ACT this weekend. Every time we get a new species, we record it um, through the BioBlitz portal, which goes on to the Atlas of Living Australia. And where you see the scribbles, the caterpillar's long gone. I think citizen science is a, a very important component to this because. A, we want to engage people throughout Australia in thinking more about science, building more of a culture of science in Australia, but also because I think there's a lot of important knowledge that's out there in the hands of people that aren't, you know, quote-unquote trained scientists. I think it's important for us to capture that knowledge, and they can help us build up, numbers of people can help us build up the data that's going to inform us on a lot of important decisions. I was taking photographs uh, in 2008, about 60 kilometres south of here at Broomba Rocks in the Magi National Park. I had a macro lens which takes photographs of small animals and plants and uh, took a photo of a beautiful little red and blue spider, tiny, only about four millimetres long. Two years later I, I, I collected that particular specimen, which was new to science. The scientist collaborator wrote a paper described it and um, and gave it my name as, as its name. So it's now known as Harrison's Peacock Spider. All the data that's being collected is actually going to end up being stored in the Atlas of Living Australia. And that this means we'll have a persistent data set that we can come back and we can look at in two years, ten years, twenty years, and still have an idea of what was happening here at this time. How this benefits us, it gives us a bit of a baseline. So if someone comes back in ten years and does the same thing, we can see if there are any changes. We can see if there are things that are occurring here now that aren't here in ten years, or things that are occurring here in ten years that aren't here now. And it'll help us get an understanding of how things are changing. We find the Atlas is being used for a great variety of uses right now. It's really quite exciting to us. People are taking the data and using it over and over and over again. And they're using it for research, they're using it for environmental management, for conservation, for biosecurity, for education and outreach. And one of the things we've always said about the Atlas is we knew it'll really be hitting its stride when someone we've never heard of comes in and starts using it for something we never thought of. And this has actually happened a couple times now. We're really excited about this. The people are coming in and coming up with new uses for the Atlas. So that was um, John LaSalle there, the director of the Atlas of Living Australia, talking about the the ACT BioBlitz, which was done in October 2013. And in the studio with me today, I actually have um, Dr. Melissa Snape, who was involved with um, sort of 
showing people around as as citizen scientists and trying to collect data from Black Mountain Peninsula of um, all the different types of um, nature and, and biodiversity within within Canberra and the and the Black Mountain area. So. Um, Mel's in, in the studio with me today. So you're involved in this BioBlitz and we just heard there that there was about 450 citizen scientists who on that, uh, was it a Saturday? I think it was a weekend thing, wasn't it? A whole Actually, weekend. Yeah, were um, basically collecting biodiversity data for the Atlas of Living Australia as citizen scientists. So tell us a bit about how that whole project ran. It must have been a bit of a sort of a, a big sort of setup to get everyone together. Yeah, well, uh, the Malonglo catchment group was actually um, primarily responsible for coordinating the whole thing, so they did an amazing job. Um, they contacted a whole bunch of ecologists from around the ACT. Um, obviously, nature's a pretty big place, and not no one person knows everything about every species. Well, there are a few exceptions. There's some pretty big brains in the ACT, but in general, different people specialise in different things, so... Yeah, they contacted um, relevant experts in a whole bunch of different fields and asked people to um, to lead a group of citizen scientists, take them out, show them around um, Black Mountain and introduce them to some new species and some techniques to identify those. Um, so, yeah, a couple of years ago when the ACT Centenary BioBlitz was on, I was um, only really kind of new to ecology. Um, my background's in uh, marsupial reproductive biology, but, yeah, I've sort of moved towards ecology from there. So it was actually a massive learning experience for me as well. Um, but I did have some skills in identifying grass, and obviously from the spotlighting stuff I was talking about before, I'm pretty good with my nocturnal mammals. So um, a couple of the uh, the surveys that I helped out with were the rare plants. Um, I did some flora stuff. I actually ran the um, mammal spotlighting survey um, with a co-worker, um, and I also participated in a whole bunch. So we did a bat survey, which was really amazing. So um, it was really cool to see bats. So a lot of people in Canberra don't actually realise that there are bats in the ACT, but often at night you'll hear like a really high-pitched kind of almost electronic sound in the sky, and that's actually the echolocation of bats. Um, even though, you know... Um, a lot of people are familiar with the fruit bats, which obviously can make a bit of a mess of your car if you leave it parked under a tree. I know recently in Dixon, my car was uh, redecorated, shall we say. Um, but on top of the, the fruit bats, there's actually loads of species of micro bats. So um, the bat survey in particular used what's called a harp net. And that's basically, it's a frame that's got loads of strings on it, kind of like a harp. Um, and you put it on a fly-through area, so like a track or something like that that goes through an otherwise fairly heavily forested area. And, um, yeah, you just leave it there for a couple of hours around dusk, and as the bats fly along, they, uh, their echolocation doesn't pick up on the string, so they crash into it and they slide down it like a slippery slide and they land in a uh, like a sack that's at the bottom and they sit there disorientated for a few minutes trying to flap their way out of the sack and at that point, if you've got all your rabies vaccinations and the appropriate ethics <laughs> handling and everything like that and you're pretty confident to hold bats, um, yeah, you can go and have a look and see what you get and there's all sorts of different bats. Um, so, yeah, that was like a, a highlight for me. Um, also there's, we did a frog survey. So the ACT Frog Watch is a really, really popular group in the ACT in terms of citizen science. Um, so lots of people 
do that sort of quite regularly and the good thing about frogs is that it's really easy to identify them just by going out and listening so what we all did we all downloaded a voice recording app on our iphones and then we just sat around this pond at night and listened to all the different frog calls and try and work out roughly how many individuals there were based on the different areas that the frogs were calling from um so yeah that was really good and it um being able to record it on your phone meant you could go back and listen to it over and over and over and over again until you worked out what all the different species were. So, yeah, combining a whole lot of different types of technology to do species surveys and upload to the Atlas. So it was a really great weekend. Yeah, and so um, the other thing that I guess we can we can take from um, your answer, you said, is that there's a lot more to, I guess, collecting data for the atlas than just being able to sort of go out there like if you want to be able to get some of these nocturnal species i suppose and figure out if they're actually out there a lot of them aren't aren't out during the day so you've got to actually set up methods of being able to figure out where they are um but there are actually ways that citizen scientists can get out into nature and um sort of learn more about science a few weeks uh maybe months ago on the show now we were actually um chatting with dr kate grarock who is out there at to the um Mulligan's Flat Woodland Mulligan's Sanctuary. Flat Woodland Sanctuary. <laughs> I was about to say Malonglo then for a second, but yeah, the Mulligan's Flat Woodland Sanctuary. And she actually takes night tours out there, and you can go and see all the different species out there at Mulligan's Flat, which is only like you know a ten k drive from from most people. Um, so it's not even that far, and you can go and see some really cool wildlife just in Canberra um, for a small fee. I did say I think on the <laughs> on the show that it um, was free, but it is not free. Not um, free, but you can also go to Mulligan's Flat as a pedestrian at night yourself if you like you just need to check the uh uh, the signs on the gates on the way in so if they're doing rabbit control or anything like that they'll obviously lock you out but um (laughs) yeah it is free to go at night and it's such an amazing place i like to think of mulligan's flat as stepping back in time 200 years um so there's a couple of sanctuaries around australia that i've been to um many of which are run by the australian wildlife conservancy and basically they're uh, fenced areas that are uh, feral predator free um, so normally you'd be driving a, along an arid road at night and you just see rabbits and rabbits and rabbits and then you drive through the gates of one of these places and suddenly it's bilbies and betongs where you'd normally see rabbits and it's just so incredible. And, um, yeah, that's the, the vision for Mulligan's Flat, to just be a little slice of what life used to be like. Um, so it's one of my favourite places to go spotlighting because not only do you see betongs, some of which are super-duper friendly and come hopping right up to you, <laughs> but you can also see sugar gliders flying around all sorts of different possums um they've also released bushstone curlews into the mulligan's flat sanctuary um and there's a pair of those that i saw when i did kate's walk quite recently as well which was pretty special so an excellent place to visit at night yeah great way to finish off well we might take a, a quick break and um put another song on for you so this is wish you well by bernard fenning You're listening to Fuzzy Logic Science Show on uh, 98.3 FM to double X. Welcome. Thank you for um, getting your science dose on a, on a Sunday. So if you're just joining us, we're talking about citizen science today and it's just gone 12.08, about to go 12.09 here in Canberra. Um, you might also be listening to our podcast as well. So thanks for joining us. Um, it's at the podcast store, Fuzzy Logic Science Show, if you want to just search for that. Um, or you might be listening online. So welcome to those of you that are listening online. So today we are talking about the Atlas of Living Australia. Um, and if you've just 
joined us. The Atlas of Living Australia has over 54 million records on approximately 110,566 Australian species, and that was at May 20, as of May 2015. Um, and those species are, are being like is those I guess um, sightings are growing rapidly. I should say um, so. These records can be investigated through individual species profiles containing photos and collections, um, and by using the mapping and analysis tools, all available on the Atlas of Living Australia website. So we are talking about this resource today, and in the studio I have Minky Faber with me, who's the communications advisor for the Atlas of Living Australia, and Dr. Melissa Snape, who is a user of the Atlas. Um, and during the break, we were just talking about how amazing it is to go onto this website, which is ala.org.au, and we're having a bit of fun today by putting in different locations and, and seeing what species we can find and we were just thinking then like well what's another cool location we can go and see we've been talking about black mountain and mulligan's flat and then i put in um where i lived and then we also put in what was around here in the city turns out there are 500 species just around the two double x studios um so there's lots of cool things um to see what about bateman's bay though that's a seaside town um and it actually has 350 species reported in the atlas so if i click on mammals um i can see that there has been one sighting of a common dog (laughs) (laughs) one sighting of a cat (laughs) but also some interesting things such as the leopard seal has been um sighted at the atlas of living australia on at bateman's bay on the atlas of living australia um we've uh, seen a long-nosed bandicoot twice um a bellied glider once uh, sugar glider once and the possum as well as some actually invasive species such as the fox has been seen as well i guess what's um also interesting about bateman's bay is that we can go a bit further and look into mollusks and arthropods and fish so when we look at fish there have been things like uh the sand mullet the blue spot goby the australian goatfish is that what it sounds like? <laughs> to actually look like a goat. Oh, can, we can actually click on it and see a picture, can we? Should uh, be able we to. Species profile. So if I click on the Australian goatfish, no image is available, unfortunately. But you can see its distribution around Australia and how many um, records that it has been recorded all around Australia. It's a really, really cool resource. And so Minky has the fun job of telling everyone about this resource. So... I thought um, um, another lining of question that we could go down with this resource is talking about who uses the Atlas. So we know that citizen scientists use it, but think, what about primary schools and school groups and um, the different ways that researchers can use it? Because we're only really talking about one aspect of the Atlas today, which is sort of the fun way that you can use it by putting in your address and seeing what species are out there. But we can actually use it as a, as a really good educational tool. So how are some of the, the different ways that we can use it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, at the, at the um, I guess, the easiest level, primary school, uh, 
We have education resources. Uh, and if you search on the Atlas of Living Australia, just under education, you can find resources uh, that have been uh, written by the education department of the Atlas of Living Australia, and you can find teacher guides. So that's really useful for uh, teachers who might be uh, doing some early science teaching. Uh, and one of the great exercises that they can do with their students is to take them outside, out of the classroom, and say, hey, here's a pen and paper. In the next 10 minutes, I want you to tell me how many living organisms you see, how many animals are out there, and maybe draw them. Can you can you uh, identify them? And then the wonderful thing about that is then they can take what they've written down, okay, and they can actually go onto the atlas, and young people, really young people, can get on the atlas and say, yes, I saw this certain magpie at this time in this certain area, my, my primary school playground, and, and look, we got a picture of it. So... Uh, uh, school teachers and students are using it uh, on a tertiary level. Uh, I'm the Atlas of Living Australia is used uh, for uh, educational purposes in unis, uh, especially when we're learning about ecology, uh, evolution, but also in those kind of more technical things about uh, being able to predict uh, species uh, lo- uh, locations or abundance over time because we also have these tools that allow us to have a look at you know how many species were recorded or how when a particular species was, was recorded where it was recorded 10 years ago okay where they're being recorded now and then the ability to perhaps do projections but then also add layers to these maps like rainfall uh, fire and things like that uh, and then of course after graduating from uni lots of people go into honours and PhDs and of course uh, Dr Snape would know all about that uh, and Ian as well and so uh, they can use the Atlas of Living Australia uh, to be looking at particular areas maybe they're focusing on one species uh, maybe they're just uh, concentrating on one area of Australia so that's another way and that's, that's research that's the really important part about the Atlas is that it's a assisting with research uh who else is using the atlas of living australia look i'm pretty sure that a lot of conservation groups would be using the atlas of living australia because the atlas is really good for assisting with uh conservation planning and management uh there'd be government departments would definitely be using the atlas of living australia uh, but this comes into a next point, which is that uh, we like to know who is using the Atlas of Living Australia. So we've actually got a user survey that's going on at the moment. So if anyone out there is already using the Atlas, <laughs> I'd love to hear from you, okay, because we want to know who is using the Atlas of Living Australia and can we get it a little bit better for you? Can we Can we fix it? Is there something we're not doing right? Is there an annoying thing when you hit the button and something doesn't work? Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a wide range of people that are using just, you know, beyond the public and, 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 and our citizen scientists and things like that. Yeah, well, if there are more people like me out there, you have to scroll down to, find, to search by location. <laughs> if you were here at the start of the show, I didn't realise that and I didn't scroll down. Depending so, um, on your web browser, of course. <laughs> But yeah, just having a look on the, on the website now, the teacher guides that are available look amazing. So yeah, like you said, they're all, they're aimed at all sorts of different levels. And it even seems like these teacher guides could be aimed at parents as well. Totally, so, you know, totally. finding species located in your area, there's a help sheet on, on how to do that. And, you know, you can go out into the backyard with your kids and, and learn about nature in a fun way. And, 
you know, there's probably thousands of parents out there that have iPads. You can download the Oz Atlas um, app onto your iPad and then you can use it with your kids. And instead of playing, a, you know, getting your kids to play games, you can actually take them outside and learn about nature. And, you know, there's there's some really cool things that, that you can do with this type of technology. Isn't that the beauty of, of, of having the internet? <laughs> really, and and being ha- and having it accessible in your hands. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about citizen science and the internet. You can just step outside of your door, okay, and you can and you can get involved with nature and you can be reporting on it. So, a wonderful thing that happened uh, last year, I believe, was birds in backyards, and this was set up again by BirdLife Australia, and they had an app which was on your phone, and uh, you were told to go outside into your backyard for 12 minutes <laughs> and in those 12 minutes you had to record as many birds as you could using the app and it was fantastic i uh, did it one saturday morning out in the sun with a cup of coffee and i sat there and i actually recorded uh 30 no 42 individuals in 12 minutes and and quite a few species as well like i normally think yeah you know we've got some carawongs and magpies and rosellas but i saw some things that i just hadn't noticed before because i hadn't been like looking for 12 minutes straight yeah so yeah it's it's pretty cool and then all of that information went to the atlas i guess the other thing that you need to think about with citizen science and this is where a lot of scientists can sometimes get a bit fussy with citizen science is the way that the data is collected but i guess when it's collected on an app that has sort of um tells you the way that you need to collect the data and and how to put in the data can it, I guess you can't really go wrong with adding it in, apart from potentially misidentifying a species. But yeah, so we were talking about before we came on the show that there is a cross-checking available. So there is certainly cross-checking. Look, a good example is uh, if you look for the Tasmanian devil, you will find that there's some on the mainland. Now, they're not alive. Okay, so when, are they, when you see a sighting uh, or a record of the Tasmanian devil on the mainland, it's actually more likely to be in a gallery or a museum or a collection or it's taxidermied in someone's house okay uh so yeah there is a cross check that does happen we probably won't find a big cetacean whale in the middle of alice springs and things like that unless it's been stuffed and mounted so it's it's coming up to twelve twenty. So before we finish off the show at twelve thirty, I thought we might play um, one more song. So this is "Forgiven, Not Forgotten" by the Cause. You're not forgotten. Oh, some cause on a Sunday. I think that was just we just got ten more listeners because of playing that song. Um, so that was great. So <laughs> welcome to Fuzzy Logic Science Show on Two Double X FM ninety eight point three, eleven thirty till twelve thirty. One thing that I should point out is, uh, come June first, the Fuzzy Logic Science Show is going to start from eleven a.m. Um, so we're going to be eleven till twelve. So make sure that you start tuning in from eleven a.m. on a Sunday. Um, I think in in two weeks' time that'll be. Oh no, will that be next week? Is June June first? I think. Uh, just putting my calendar up now. So in two weeks' time, we'll be from eleven a.m. Just to set that straight. So today we are talking about citizen science, and we're talking about bio blitzing nature. So that's all about trying to find out what. Um, what biodiversity is within your area. And we've had a bit of fun talking about the Atlas of Living Australia this morning, which is this great resource resource available online and via and, um, apps um, through the iTunes store. So it's www.ala.org.au. 
And in the studio, I have Minky Faber and uh, Mel Snape, whom we're talking about the Atlas of Living Australia and the different ways that you can use it. And in today, during today's show, we have been seeing what biodiversity and what nature is within our area. Um, and just to let everyone know, there is one dog sighting at Batemans Bay. I repeat, one dog sighting at Batemans <laughs> Bay. I think that's really important to know. <laughs> so Batemans Bay citizen scientists are a bit more slack than the Canberra ones, apparently. <laughs> Um, but it's really cool. So you can put in your street address and see what nature has been sort of identified within a, a one kilometer, five kilometer, ten kilometer radius of, of your street. Um, anywhere from mammals through to plants through to little insects and more. So um, we were talking about the different ways of being able to use it, but... We've got five minutes left on the show today. So one thing that I wanted to, to draw your attention to was during 2014, I guess we, we didn't even know that this was still possible, but there was approximately 18,000 new species named during 2014. Um, and so to coincide with the birth of, I'm going to say this right, Coralus Linnaeus, the father of modern taxonomy. So his birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday um, to Coralus Linnaeus. Who, Linnaeus. Linnaeus. Okay, thank you for pointing that out. Um, <laughs> so they have created the top 10 new species for 2015. So if you go to www.esf.edu forward slash top 10 you can see that the top 10 species for 2015 are and not ranked in any specific order we don't want to play favorites here um it's in alphabetical order just so you know um by species name so there's the feathered dinosaur and there is a picture of what this feathered dinosaur would look like and it's as you would exactly expect, it's a dinosaur that has feathers. It's exactly, it's pretty cool. Um, so check out that one. And then there's also a coral plant, a cartwheeling spider. I'm going to click on this and see if it's exact. Yes, there is a YouTube clip. So we will watch that later. <laughs> uh, what else is there? There is uh, the X-Phyla. That sounds a bit crazy. Um, the Bonehouse Wasp. Sounds dangerous. The Indonesian frog, the walking stick. Um, we'll have a look at that one later as well. The sea slug, uh, the the bromeliad. That looks like a type of plant, and the pufferfish as well. So, eighteen thousand new species identified in twenty fourteen. Mickey, can we still identify new species and can the Atlas of Living Australia assist with identifying new species? The Atlas of Living Australia is not going to be helpful in in uh, naming new species. Uh, I suggest if you find something out in the wild and you take a picture and you're not quite sure what it is, you can actually join a community called Bowerbird. From there, you can upload your picture, and Bowerbird is populated by a bunch of pretty cool naturalists and scientists who get on there in their spare time, and they can actually identify it. Now, if there is something that is seen that is not identifiable, then it goes up to the next level, okay? And that's when uh, it kind of gets taken into a different realm of, of, essentially, it goes to the government, okay? And and that's when it gets, that's that's when they're able to... uh, uh, say yes, this is a new one, and yes, we'll have that name. Okay, so that's how uh, uh, you know things get named and, and, and kind of um, uh, made official. 
Mm. And there are still people in locals in Canberra that are identifying new species every day. Like there was a, a peacock spider identified a few years ago in the Magi National Park. And um, there's a Canberra Twitter site, which is, I think, Canberra Tams run it or the conservation group where you can actually put up a photo of an unidentified species or what you think is an unidentified species and try and get the Twitter sphere to figure out what it is for you. Um, I'll put a link up to that one on our Facebook page when I can find it. But there are definitely ways of of being able to identify what you're looking at if, if you can't figure it out. So you could put it onto the Atlas at some point. And the other thing too about the Atlas uh, is that even if... If you're in an area and you see a bird or you see a lizard or something and you're not quite sure what it is, you can have a look again at the area that you're standing in and you can have a look at some of the lizards that have already been identified and then you might find that it's actually already been identified and then you can put it straight up to the atlas. It's so disappointing when you think you've found a new species. <laughs> it's super duper common. <laughs> So to finish off, um, thank you for listening. So thank you to Minky for, for joining us, taking some time off on your Sunday to talk about the Atlas of Living Australia. That URL again is www.ala.org.au. And if you have um, a smartphone or a, a tablet, you can download their app, which is Oz Atlas. That's O-Z Atlas. Um, and that's another way that you can also use the Atlas as well um, on, on your smartphone, which is another cool way of using it. And thank you to Dr. Melissa Snape for joining me in the studio and taking some time out on your Sunday to talk about the ways that you have used the Atlas of Living Australia. So it's great to hear about this this awesome resource that's coming out of Canberra, that's being maintained in Canberra. Um, and thank you to both of you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.